Friday. Friday. We've got to get down on Friday. motherfuckers. Should you be using technology? Uh, if I was orthodox, no. <laughs> you're not. You're not Shomer Shabbos. If, no, I'm not. Not at all. <laughs> what if someone else turns it on for you? Uh, that's the gray area, isn't it? Yeah. What if you set a timer to have it turn on on its own? It could do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's I lots heard, of workarounds. I heard there's like a whole industry about these kind of things. Like there is, yeah. Lamp timers and. It's also and... my favorite one is the uh, Shabbos lamp, and instead of having to have a timer, just you turn it on mm-hmm. before, and it's got this cover that you can like twist. It just you just twist it. Oh. It's got like these little windows that the mm-hmm. lights come out of, and that turns the light off, but doesn't. Neat. I'm like, that's simple, and also seems handy for camping. <laughs> or or robbery. <laughs> One or the other. Isn't it the same thing at the end? <laughs> uh, no, that's just me? Okay. Yeah. Industrious <laughs> ways to cheat God's will. Yeah, well. <laughs> you gotta you gotta live in the world, man. It's not the uh, it's not the bronze age anymore, so what can you do? That's what they're always saying about the Torah and stuff. My favorite, and it's pretty common practice I learned from Orthodox people. So, uh, yeah, you just make all your shit in the crock pot, mm-hmm. and you turn it on, and then you just pull, take the knob off, and it's fine. Huh. No one can accidentally turn it off. No violations. You're good. <laughs> wow. Yep. Then you put the knob back on at the end of Saturday. Huh. So. You know, I can't see it from here, but I'm betting that your shirt has no tassels, and is probably made not. of two different kinds of fabric. Uh, it's 100% algodone, thank you very much. Fucking heathen. <laughs> and it doesn't have corners, so it doesn't need any seat seat. Oh, okay. So, I don't know what any of those words are, so I'll concede this point to you. <laughs> but, is it, but is it dyed with Tehillit? No, it is not. Oh. <laughs> and none of the seat seat I do have are, because that's an extra 70 bucks. <laughs> so it's all just white. <laughs> I'm like, nope, not an extra seventy bucks. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Like we all haven't done it for like fifteen hundred years, so it's okay. And welcome back to RTFB, our book slash movie club podcast. This is Travis, and today Chris, other Chris and I will be finishing our discussion of the book version of 2001 and getting ready to take on the movie. So, if you were planning on reading along and haven't finished the book yet, then I'm sorry to say it, but you've been doing the whole thing wrong. Of course, you can still hit pause now and finish up your reading if you wanted to. Otherwise, we'll carry on and rejoin my chat with the Chris's already in progress.
So speaking of Space Baby, how did you guys? Space Baby. How do you guys feel about the the ending of our book? The last two sections. How did they find you? Okay, I suppose they're okay. kind of weird. Yeah, I guess I guess it fits with a you know an energy being civilization trying to evolve a human. I guess to come meet them. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the ultimate goal of the Star Child to interact with them and other things. And I kind of like the comments too. It was like, yeah, she's just gonna kind of hang out here and float in space. Well, I mean, in like. This- in this matter stream between stars, until he realizes he doesn't have to be a baby. Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I think they made it pretty clear that uh, when they set when they set all this up, they were still like probably corporeal. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty clear. They still had bodies and shit when they did all that. Yeah, but they, that's why I think it's even like in the intervening years they shed their bodies and now yeah. they're. Right, and they what? They store their memories and their consciousness in like space somehow or something. Did I get that right out of there? Yeah, I feel like there's mention of some kind of like grid pattern stuff involved, and that's how they it's, do that. It's like frozen light. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, some other weird Clark tech. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I have a lot of question marks when we get to that part. Like <laughs> a lot. I think that's just the whole last two sections of this book. Yeah. Which yeah. I liked more than some of the other preceding ones, but this is the most, I think, the weirdest, most fanciful part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And uh, it might have just been me, but I felt like it was really kind of rushed along. Like, considering yeah. all the time they spent, like, okay, well, they found this thing on the moon, right? And now mm. they're going to go to Saturn. And then treachery is afoot with the computers. But now, you know, spaceport transformation space baby yep i mean i think they covered the highlights you know like yeah right uh, he basically like interesting stuff was happening before i guess right i mean a lot of it i i think was descriptive but it's like we got all that out of the way you know we already know about the ship we already know how the stuff works uh now it's just like you know beat after beat of like uh this happened and then this happened yeah yeah, and I could see it getting super tedious if he was going to go into a lot of detail about, well, not only did he see this abandoned spaceship, but he saw this one, too, and also right. this other thing, and he felt really weird. Yep. I think probably a lot of that was just because, like, he didn't really even understand what was going on, so exactly. it was hard for him he to could contextualize. Not yet yeah. Yeah. So, let's get into it, I think. So, part three. Moons of Saturn. Part three is how I labeled it in my notes. It's not how it's labeled in the book. Uh, uh, it's actually section, what, five? Yeah. So, when we part last five. left our intrepid hero, he had just murdered the hell out of the Hell 9000. Yep. Sent all his buddies off into space. <laughs> and yep. setting that's back. one way to put it. <laughs> Setting itself about restoring the ship. So, getting it back to more or less normal. Yep, and continue on his merry way. They mentioned that after all of the space lock issue, that there's still plenty of shit left for him, though, because there's only one person left, so it's plenty of oxygen for him. Yep. They, uh, they offload a lot of the stuff Hal had been doing back to Mission Control. I guess they decided that the lag was acceptable enough. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys handle it. 
Yeah, and they uh, mentioned too, like any of the stuff that could go wrong with major systems, it would take a while for it to right. like be noticed and be deadly. So like an in, in hour time lag like, wasn't a big deal to really right. address it. Yeah. He basically is just coasting now anyway, so yeah. until he gets closer. Uh, so let's see. So Dave goes back to studying the recordings of TMA-1. Mm-hmm. He mentions that that monolith sent only one signal and then went quiet, so it hasn't been broadcasting ever since. Uh, they mentioned that it's shown to be 11 feet by 5 feet by 1 and a quarter feet. Which yep. he notices a perfect one four nine ratio. Mm-hmm. And here's my first question of the section. He's like, "Of course, it'd have to be an alien race to make such a perfect ratio." Like, what? We don't have we don't have rulers in the future or calculators. Or I think it's more a fixation on, uh, I guess, geometrical forms that can be translated into math, so to speak, maybe. Mm-hmm. The way that they the way that they phrased it was that it was so perfectly made that like within uh, within the tolerances of their ability to measure it, hmm. it was it was one four nine. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, like down down to like like a molecular level, pretty much. Like it was exact. That's true. Yeah. Ah. In so, ways that we cannot manufacture. So yeah. they used some really good calipers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just one of the things that kind of jumped out like so uh, I guess he's been corresponding with Mission Control mm-hmm. they claimed that they had to keep the real mission a secret because they tried with test groups basically telling them hey there's aliens maybe and they freaked the fuck out yep <laughs> yep basically <laughs> so um how do you think that must have went? That it was that bad that they're like, we can't tell anybody. Pretty bad, it's, I'm assuming. It's like it's like that big scene disconnect. In, it's like that scene in airplane, you know, <laughs> when everyone yeah. is just like freaking out. Exactly. Like it, you know, cats and dogs living together. It's like, right. <laughs> I just picture people because I've done focus groups before, like led them people behind mm-hmm. the one way glass and like taking notes. You're like, hey, there might, there might be aliens. Like, what? <laughs> I guess we won't tell them now. Oh, well. Well, I mean, um, in, in, those, in those focus groups, like, did you feed everybody LSD before you told them <laughs> there might be aliens? Yep. I picture... Hey, that's just to create psychological suggestion, all right? Make it easier to digest. <laughs> <laughs> I pictured the scene from Airplane and the scene from Mallrats. Like, mm-hmm. okay, everyone's going down on the plane and crashing. They all just start beating <laughs> off silently. Like, no one said a thing. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I think my response would be like, you're probably making this up and I'm leaving your test now, but... Right. But how do you feel about Chevrolet? Uh, not I mean, my favorite brand. I'm not going to buy one, but I'm okay with it. What if we give you some LSD? <laughs> I might buy one then. <laughs> I will have one LSD and zero because Chevrolet's, please. Because it's the coolest purple monster I've ever met. <laughs> the Chevy. <laughs> Chevy, your new best friend. <laughs> okay, so anyway, 
They mentioned that apparently there's a new sort of secret space race to be the first people to discover an E.T. But they didn't really elaborate on that, so I'm going to move swiftly past it. They say that Mission Control's HAL 9000 also had a breakdown, very similar to the one on Discovery. But it's now in therapy, so it's getting its life back together. (laughs) I liked that part. Too bad they couldn't phone in a therapist for HAL. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, so they confirmed some of other Chris's suspicions from our last session that mm-hmm. Hal turned and broke content because he felt guilty and conflicted feelings about having to lie to everybody. And that everything after that was just like, oh shit. Right, I'm caught, I don't know what to do. <laughs> just doubling down and everything. But yeah. doesn't really seem like Dave gives a shit anymore. Like, he's very focused on what's going to happen in the future, and he's not really even interested well, and they even talked about, like, once he understood shit more, he essentially kind of forgave Hal. Yeah. That he could kind of move past all that, too, and just, yeah, just super focused on the mission. Right. Because I know they'll touch on it later, too. It's like, it kind of comes to grips with the fact, too, that the initial plan of, oh, I'm going to go into stasis after we get there and be rescued in two years isn't going to happen. Right. Because there's no way to really make that happen, and no way, there's no, like hibernation chambers that can be used anymore that would still function. And it's right. like, well, I'm just going to keep doing this because otherwise I have to focus on the fact that I'm going to die. You know? <laughs> out here in space. Yeah. I guess you know? I guess that's probably preferable to, you know, going insane, but... Yeah, but... They tend to pick people for these kinds of jobs that don't go insane. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is really kind of clever of them. They yeah. go insane the leastest. <laughs> least likely to freak the fuck out when he hears that there yep. may be ETs and start throwing his feces against the wall. Yep. yep. And that you're going to die, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So go make nice and hope for the best. Yeah. They do talk about how he just kind of falls into routines. Mm-hmm. He's like basically running the whole ship and not sleeping much, but always shaving. Right. It's important. Yeah. Just, to show, just to show he's focused. Yep. Yeah. Like, aliens are going to (laughs) know. Well, so this probably sets a precedent, and they get to Earth and go, what the fuck, you guys have hairy faces? (laughs) Oh, we can't deal with that. Well, they don't really say, but maybe he's got a... The first guy didn't have any. A full, luxurious beard, he doesn't want to intimidate them. He'd be like... That's true. That's true. That's one rugged brother. That's what they'll say. (laughs) (laughs) So they sort of spend some time while he considers, like, what kind of challenges whoever set up TMA-1 might have faced, like, traveling out of the solar system, like, can they go faster than the speed of light? Do, do they know, do they have wormholes? Like, do they hibernate? Do they set up, like, multi-generational space missions that they know is going to take, you know, multiple generations to accomplish? And I mean, yeah. Who knows? What might maybe be like? Are they Star Trek or are they Star Wars? Like, yeah. Do they have a prime directive or are they going to have a blockade for the Trade Federation? Like, what is what's their? It seems thing? they have something of a prime directive, but who knows? Yeah. Or are out they, of loneliness for being the first ones. Or are they robots and they don't care about time? Yes. So that seems to be a uh, point of, I guess, societal like evolution they talk about like 
you know, eventually they will be robots, but then they won't be that either. Did, did they talk about that? Yeah, at some point. Oh, well. It's a possibility they're talking about, because I wrote okay. something about that, because the debates they have in the book are essentially kind of what we would debate about still about aliens, like and how they would be, and like I said, the Star Trek versus Star Wars. Because yeah. in Star Trek, they're like, oh yeah, we all have the same general form, because we were, you know, DNA seeded by the first sentient life forms. Right. But it could also be that, hey, maybe a form kind of like into ours is conducive for higher level consciousness, right. self-awareness. Right. Or none of that's necessary and they could be fucking floating blobs. I don't know. <laughs> you yeah, know? that's the other thing. Like, so Are they Star Trek because they all look like whatever random cast extras they could get in that day and they just paint them a different color? Right. Or are they right. Star Wars? Like, they're all in the canteen and most Eisley. Like, mm-hmm. Anyway... He uh, handles it how I would, where he's like, I'm going to listen to my iPod all day instead and just blare out all the music. Shout yep. Uh, That's the best way. So he makes his approach to Saturn, spends another section where he's just kind of looking at big space stuff, mm-hmm. uh, notes that Saturn is kind of uh, oblong. And comments on the rings, although it didn't really seem clear that he knew what they were made out of. Well, I don't think we knew exactly, did we? Yeah. We knew it was particular, I think, of some sort by then, but... Yeah. Again, Voyager hadn't been, so I guess we didn't really know. have a good idea. That was my suspicion. You said ice, and, I mean, ice isn't wrong. Right. But, you know... Yeah. Though they say later it's from the planet... Right. Planet moon from when they put the one of the moons like, just threw the monolith in there or something. <laughs> Blew it the fuck up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he also says they're going to disappear in a couple million years, which I guess that, is probably I true. I think that's true. That yeah. is true. Yeah, it's a it's an ephemeral phenomenon. Yeah, mm-hmm. as ephemeral as something that lasts a million years can be. Right. It is relatively for the universe. Ephemeral. I guess that's pretty ephemeral, but yeah. for yeah. us, you know. Yeah, but I stopped when they're like, and it probably showed up the same times that humans did. Hmm. I'm assuming, assuming that's the poetic license there. Mm-hmm. That'd be my assumption as well. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't bother to Google it or anything. No. <laughs> I just wrote a note that's like, that's probably not true. And I moved on. <laughs> yeah. So he approaches Chipetus. Japetus? Japetus? I don't J- know. Japetus? Is it a soft J? Might be. Japetus? And notes there the white oval on the surface, which is facing the sun and the earth. And starts to notice it sort of looks like an eye, and also notices a little black dot in the center of it. I wonder what that could be. What could it be? So he does some maneuvers to break down the speed's ship, the ship's mm-hmm. speed, uh, hoping that he can reach the moon on the next go around, or else skip off into space and have to wait years and years to get another chance. Yeah. Uh, as he gets closer down to fifty miles out, he thinks that black spot is just like a black building, but eventually he decides it's TMA One's big brother. Yep. Yep. Same ratios. Same ratios. Um, hey, so uh, I, I googled Saturn's rings here. Mm-hmm. And from uh, January of this year, 
Cassini apparently has told us that Saturn's rings are likely 100 million years old. So, not the same time as humans. Right, but also not nearly as old as we would have thought. Hmm. But dinosaurs. Definitely dinosaurs. Bingo. <laughs> yep. Dino DNA. <laughs> Mr. DNA. <laughs> oh, Mr. DNA. <laughs> as a side note, we watched that movie the other day, and my wife was amazed that I knew every line in it. Why was she amazed? I don't know. I'm like, haven't Should you watched this movie a be... hundred thousand times? Right? What did she do with her life? Seriously. <laughs> Priorities, man. I'm like, you do plan on having dinosaurs on your dinosaur trip. Sure. Tour. Right? Yeah. Anyway, so the narrative then skips aside and we're kind of given a glimpse at the precursors that left the TMAs, which... Call yep. it a Stargate. Not with Richard Dean Anderson, but still Uh-oh. a Stargate. So All you're... I could think of, though, is that. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what right. What can you do? So they do confirm that they're more Star Trek-like explorers, jetting mm-hmm. through the universe, encountering their prized discovery, which is a mind. Yes. Yeah. Usually they just observe... Like Usually they just observe. Sometimes they have to do some weeding. They claimed they had to do that with dinosaurs, and uh, what the fuck did the dinosaurs do to them? They didn't develop enough in a set time frame. But they were big. That doesn't matter. And they were awesome. Yeah, but they weren't (laughs) heading towards self-awareness. You don't know. Oh, I do. Those raptors could open doors. (laughs) Maybe another hundred million years, they would have kind of been there. Well, that kind of reminds me, there's a uh, Star Trek book I used to have. The Star Trek probe about the probe from uh, Star Trek Four, and that's kind of its purpose too from its creators mm-hmm. is to go looking for sentient life or potential sentient life and weeding out dead ends. Mm-hmm. So it also killed the dinosaurs. Come on, man! But what? when it came back, like fifty-five or like twenty million years ago, like proto whales were like, "Woo, we're here!" That's why <laughs> I'm going to talk to whales and check in on them in a while, and and they weren't there. So you know, yeah. time travel. On a side note. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probes and technology, peoples weeding out dinosaurs. Every that time. explains everything. Every yeah. time those dinosaurs get the raw end of the stick. They sure do. Yeah, not cool. Poor dinosaurs. <laughs> even even the veggie-sauruses. <laughs> not cool. Anyway, so these precursors live experience, experiments, stargates, and then they fly off somewhere else. Yep. We sort of talked evolved. about this already. Then they evolve into like energy beings somewhere along yeah. the way. That's neat. It is but pretty neat. They still look over their ancestors' experiments, which is really kind of nice of them. It is like reviewing the data to go remember. Oh yeah, what did yeah. they do? What were they looking for? Yeah, how's that going? It probably only takes like a fraction of their time, you know. Probably, probably but still. Like... I mean, that'd be like if Homo erectus left notes and we were reading those yeah so, i think i think we would, would be helpful if they had left any yeah i know it'd be extremely helpful but <laughs> at least you know, know like that. People would be doing it, you that's know? a yeah. valid point at the time i was thinking like uh whoever had my phone number at work before me gets a lot of calls and i don't even pick that shit up but 
these people probably weren't just leaving sales calls. So, yeah. uh, so then Dave decides he's going to take his pod down to the Stargate. It's been so far passive to probing and scanners, but as he makes his approach, it kicks into gear. Uh, he finds that TMA2 isn't really magnetic at all, so I don't know why they went with that name. But it's actually a 2,000-foot-tall block or building. And as he approaches it, it does something. Opens. change, man. It opens, I guess. And space inside out. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of folds inwards. I he guess. doesn't really know what he's seeing, but he has the quote that the last thing I think Mission Control hears from him it says, "My God, it's full of stars." Yep. Yeah. Which, Which is begins cool. his descent into weirdness, and no one knows what happens to him. Right. It's just for us, the readers. And that's how we close out that section, and it seemed like you know yeah. more spacey setting stuff. Mm-hmm. I found it to be mercifully short. I'm kind of like, let's just get to it, yeah. guys. Like, it's just like him. He's not really talking to anybody. Let's right. just get on to the the next thing. Right. And I could have used more detail about the Bach he was listening to. Yeah. Like, yeah. It did seem kind of arbitrary, where he's like, "No, these guys were shitty." Yeah. Beethoven. I mean, come on. I can only listen to him for so long, but now. I think it would have been funnier if he started listening to, like, hard bass. <laughs> just, just to drown out the voices. <laughs> Exclusively listens to Skrillex. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, my note at the end of this section was like, we only have 30 pages left in this book, so what the hell is going to happen? Oh, what will happen indeed. <laughs> what indeed. So... The, next, the last section, Through the Gate, is where I feel like we should have all taken a tab of acid. Probably. And just dove right in. Yep. So, Dave falls through the roof of TM1 and isn't quite sure where he's going. It's into the heart of Jepetus, through the universe. Mm-hmm. He sees stars speeding past him endlessly. The clock slows down and stops. Yep. But, he's pretty calm about it. He's like, this is kind of like that one time I had that one hallucinogen. Right. <laughs> the one time. <laughs> maybe and, uh, it's been the whole time. Maybe it, who knows? Maybe he's still... Typing ahead. it through the air, putting the food for him, keeping maybe calm, he, I don't know. Maybe he never woke up from his hibernation test, and this is all a Jacob's Ladder situation. What? Oh, can't go there, man. <laughs> can't go there. Would that Change be, entire meanings, man. Would that be the biggest slap in the face ever at this point? Like, uh, yeah, it would yeah. be. <laughs> totally. He was actually dead. Uh, what? But no, he emerges into a milky white enormous space and realizes that it's regular space, but it's negative. Mm-hmm. He sees a bunch of wrecked spaceships on a big-ass planet in front of him that's so big, he's just like, I don't even know anymore. Like... It's just really big. And sees golden, spindly, fantastical ships gliding past. Yep. And It's kind of sad they couldn't go into more details about the, the things you got to see. Yeah. Like that, the space civilizations, but we only had 30 pages, so... Yeah. I pictured blue meanies and other yellow submarine-type spaceships at this point. There you go. Because he decided yep. he's in a sort of space terminal, the Grand Central Station, but in space. Mm-hmm. 
But he pulled through, and merges back into normal space, and just knows he's many light years, light, light centuries from the solar system. Because he can see all sorts of different types of stars that he's not used to. Yeah. Including what I've dubbed the middle-aged divorced star. Because <laughs> it's been transitioning from being super hot to, you know, low-key. But still yeah. in it for the long haul. Like, it's it's doing good. Right, right. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it's paired with a white dwarf binary, which seems to be siphoning off some of its, you know, sun stuff. Mm-hmm. And both... Dave watches a sun rise over a sun, which kind of That'd be interesting, yeah. Uh, He floats past the wreckage of other ships and realizes he's moving through a dead space parking lot. And decides that, you know, this was probably a trap that was set up a long time ago, and I probably missed everybody. But no, not at all. Or is it where you go to park for your final (laughs) ascension? (laughs) Not at all. Because he's pulled way closer to the sun by -hmm. something. But he's not worried, though. And uh, he basically says to himself, listen, they brought me this far, they're probably not going to crash me into shit. Right. Just, you know, kind of find out. I mean, I guess. Keep going. It's another one of those things that he probably doesn't have another choice, Like, so freaking out isn't really going to help much, but... That's true. I might freak out a little bit, I think. I mean, that's, you know, that's like a very calm, rational thing, I guess, telling yourself not to freak out because it's not productive. But uh, I think most people aren't capable of that. (laughs) It's the 60s, man. Willpower. What does that have to do with the 60s? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I feel like their uh, fictional characters are a little more capable than the average man. Okay, I got you now. Yeah. Um... I, I think I would have a little bit of panic, even if I'm, like, trying to rationalize that. It wouldn't bring me this far just to crash me into something, but... Still be freaking the fuck out, gets, having gone through a Stargate. Gets pretty close to a, you know, still active sun. Yeah. For, for my pleasure. When you should be burning up and you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... He sees some things, which are probably giant balls of light, and they seem to be... Migrating up the column of fire between the two stars. Mm-hmm. And eventually lands in a hotel suite. Yep. Which from, Wasn't it from a movie or something? Yeah, which TV show? I can't he also now. seems to take really in his stride. Like, at this point, yeah. I'd be like, so I've gone insane. But no, he decides he's probably in the middle of a test. And worries mm-hmm. that he's already failing it, and if he should step out of the pot or not. So, being an astronaut, he That's decides to wear his full space suit, step into the room. Yep. And he does what you might expect someone testing if they're having a lucid dream to do. Like, he goes and tries to read things. Like the phone book. But no numbers Definitely. in the phone book. Yeah. Except the phone, no dial tone. He's basically in an Ikea showroom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't know what the shit would be. Yeah. They've yeah. never met us before. It's based off of a, what, a movie, a broadcast. I can't remember. I can't remember. Well, you're, you're jumping ahead a little bit here. But yes. <laughs> they saw a picture and they're like, that's what we'll do. <laughs> yeah, I, I laughed because he goes and finds a bedroom, a bathroom, and a closet with suits in it for him to wear. But he's yep. like, listen, no one's worn a single-breasted suit in four years. <laughs> Fashion. 
Hello. Like, I get what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. But four, four years, like this... I have suits that are four years old. That wouldn't right. be the thing that was like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, he inspects the... F- there's like a kitchenette or something. Because mm-hmm. he finds cornflakes in the fridge. Yep. It's all in the fridge, right? Is, ever, all the food is in the fridge. Yeah. Which at this point, I'm like, this is kind of creepy in my mind. <laughs> sure is. Like, this is the point where I'm like, I'm going to get back in the pod. But, and just stay there forever. But that's why mm-hmm. I'm not selected to go through any Stargates or anything. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's their way of telling you, like, this is food. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, hey, we're trying to provide for you here. Eat right. this. Don't die on us, man. Instead of like putting pellets in like a bowl or something. Yeah. Floor. Well, this whole segment to me is kind of reminiscent. Well, I guess they probably borrowed from it. Like the episode of Star Trek Voyager where they go to some planet and uh, find this stuff that exists in the space that shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. and it's this recreation from a, like a trashy novel. Because uh, the aliens accidentally pulled these like astronauts from the twenty second century there or something, and they felt bad about it, mm-hmm. so they created this world for them to live in until they died. Oh, and to get out, they had to solve the story, like the murder mystery or whatever the fuck it was. But yeah, it's kind of like, hey, we're gonna do this for you because this is how we know how to all we can figure out how to react to what we did. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, totally food in the. F- Cornflakes in the fridge, yeah. suits in the closet, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would be more comfortable if they just set out a bag of bachelor chow or something and, like, just yeah. have at it, guy. But it did kind of feel like a kid getting a bug and being like, I'll put a leaf in this jar, like he's used right. to. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. a leaf. So, anyway, he tears That's into the cornflakes and finds that it's not cornflakes, it's like blue bread pudding. But, you know, he's a scientist, so the first thing he does is eat it. Yeah. But only a little. Well, it's I nutritional mean, supplements. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's sci-fi, so it has to be blue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. It's in space, it's blue. Like the milk right. at Uncle Owen's exactly. place. It's a good thing blue's my favorite color, then. Yeah. You know, the, uh, except for space. <laughs> he opens a beer can and also finds blue stuff in that. Yeah, that was kind of a little weird to me. Yeah. Like, you know. Because I would have thought there would have just been water in there. Right. They know that they drink things because they've yeah. given him water, even though it's perfectly distilled and therefore disgusting. Right. Yep. But, uh, drinks so imagine too. they just kind of replicated it. Yeah. You know? Maybe they never actually saw anyone drink the beer, and so they just assumed. That's probably what happened. Yeah. So anyway, again, being a scientist, he's like, guess it's time for a goddamn shower. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then fucking Baby Bear just lays down in bed. He's like, okay. I'm tired. (laughs) I'm going to take this opportunity to sleep. (laughs) Turns on the TV, notices it's playing back shows, and somehow knows that these were broadcast around the time that TMA TMA 1 was discovered. So I'm assuming that, what, it deflected some of the broadcasts out? Then that's what they analyzed? They... Recorded? Uh, yes, basically. Yeah. So, I don't know Giant if we should talk about it or not. Evo. I know what it is, so. Oh. 
Is it a big from spoiler other, from the other the books? Other books. Can, you, can you give us a non-spoilery version? Mm. No? Well, you can maybe edit it out. Okay. Basically... <laughs> Hey, this is Travis jumping in really quick. Uh, at this point, Chris did go through the basic plot of the rest of the books in the 2001 series. Uh, we're cutting it out of here and moving it to the end of the podcast. So if you're interested in that, it'll be available once we're done with the rest. Okay, back to it. So anyway, again, he's like, this is probably all fine. I got my cool TV and my bathrobe on. I'm going to go to sleep. For the last time... Oh, he didn't yeah. know it was for the last time. But the book did. Yes. <laughs> the book certainly did. Yes. It, hey, he just went to sleep. And he was reborn as a star child. I mean, yeah. you know. So yeah, something seems to enter his not really a dream. He sees a kind of a light show that reminds him of a cross-section of a brain he saw once. And he sees all his memories rewinding, like going back through his mission in space and then training and then... So does that mean they downloaded his mind into their space mind storage system? It seems like it's transferring his memories out. Yeah. And because of that happening, he becomes a baby again? Like, because he's got I no memories? I guess then they could evolve him, but he can still tap into that old experience if he needs it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I read a random short story one time about a kid who was like, super woke basically and he was talking about how when he was a baby like he grew his own body himself like no one else told me how to do it i had to do it Mm -hmm. and he could forget all the stuff he learned when he was a kid and then tap into his like primordial skill set huh kind of reminded me of that maybe it's something like that yeah it's not unlike akira where he's like if you can just remember what it's like to be a single-cell organism, you can have all the stuff they can do, too. Right. Weird, but anyway. So, <laughs> it said, Even as one David Bowman ceased to exist, another became immortal. So, I assume that means they're transferring his memories into something. Yeah, and they kind of rewound everything, I guess, including him. Right. They, they destroyed him in the process. Right. But then made him anew. Right. They rebuilt him. Right. As a space baby. Yes. 20,000 light years from Earth. And yes. no sooner is a baby crying in space than the crystalline rectangle from prehistory reappears and starts doing some weaving on the baby. Yep. They don't really shit. mean They Fix don't really it. tell us what that means, and that's probably for the best, because I'm already insane at this point. <laughs> But well, all this, too, was started by that, because TMA2 is like, oh, hey, I've been watching this spaceship come. I've yeah. been waiting forever for spaceships. Yeah. I'm going to initiate my programming now. Yeah. That's my whole purpose, is to pull this organism into this and send it to be made into space, baby. Right. So they mentioned that the crystalline rectangle is a little bit better at its job now, because it had experience before, and men mm-hmm. are a little bit more accepting. Yep. So, the hotel stays... We're not Moonwatcher anymore. No. Now we're Space Baby. Upgraded. Uh, The stage burns away. Space Baby seems to learn the secrets of the backstage of the universe, which he also says, 149. Of course. Of course. (laughs) 149. It could only have been that. I mean, what else would it be? What else, yeah. (laughs) 
Certainly not prime numbers. <laughs> squares, man. That's where it's no, no, no. Squares. And the ratio of squares. Uh, so, Space Baby just knows that he's somewhere before time. And he's not really sure if he wants to do anything, but yep. knows that help is going to be there if he needs it. And then bursts forth back into real space, flies back to Earth, which is described as his new plaything. And here I have a big question mark. Mm-hmm. Because what exactly happens right then? Like, they're talking about, I think, nuclear war happening, or... That's what I got the gist so of. The way, I don't know. the way that I interpreted it is that uh, they detected him showing up. Yeah. Like, here's this this crazy hostile alien that just showed up and set off all of our radar, and we're going to launch our nukes against it. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. And he's like, nah. (laughs) Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. Just brushes him aside, like, nah. I I couldn't quite tell if he was doing that. Like, they were attacking him, and he said, no. Or they're attacking (laughs) each other, and he's like, not that either. Or he's like, (laughs) oh, fuck all of you, I'm blowing up all your nuclear weapons. And this, because they said it's the end of human history as men know it. So I could see that as being like, hey, there's Space Baby now, so we have new yep. history. Or, right. we all just got burned to death in nuclear holocaust, and so... <laughs> it's probably going to be both, because I think Space Baby can just kind of undo some of that shit and bring, prevent humans from ceasing to be. Hmm. But they won't be old humans anymore because Space Baby's there now. So yeah, the whole new history thing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just trust in space, baby. Trust yeah. in space, baby. Space, baby. That's so a I... bumper sticker. <laughs> I want a bumper sticker of that now. Trust space in baby. space, baby. <laughs> so they close out by saying, Space Baby was not quite sure what to do next, but we'd think of something. Yep. And that's the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like that's the ending they kept with, but, you know, that's that's you, fine. Yeah, yeah. Other stories later on, we'll just forget that happened. So, what did we think? Both about this whole ending section and the book as a whole. What? Flat? No, I... What? 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 Lat pull downs. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, like I said, said after I finished it, these last two sections were my favorite because they're the most fanciful. I think, mm-hmm. and you know that's some you're, fiction part. You're fancy, so yeah, and you know, so I like you know weird spacey shit. Right. Myself, I don't know that they worked so well with the story that was kind of being built up before that. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like, I almost felt like we ran out of time or something. Yeah. You know, like it should have been different somehow. I don't know, maybe it wasn't supposed to, but I feel like it should have been different. Right. Yeah, I think that's a comment on the, the change of pace again. Like, mm-hmm. uh, how how the first sections are so detailed in their descriptions of, like, all of the scenery and technology. Yeah, right. And then when you get to the last part, it's just like a, you know, a sequence of events. Right. Yeah. I just like missing details that kind of probably should have been in there. I agree. I I think part of the missing detail, though, is that like, uh, 
David Bowman doesn't really understand what's going on completely either. That's true. And he can't share with anybody else either. Yeah. You know, it's just him and his sensing. Right. Right. I I think it's definitely a delicate balance you'd have to walk because I think he wanted it to be like this awe-inspiring and completely new and undescribable experience, but he has to tell us about it, so right. he can't just be like, and it looked really cool. I mean, right. it's, it's kind of the same as, like, uh, talking about cosmic horror and, like, going back to Lovecraft and stuff. Right. Where it's like, and here's this indescribably horrible thing that drives people insane, and that's, like, really the only thing you can say about it. Right. Yeah. Because describing it any further, it's it's no longer indescribable. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that can be really effective in uh, space horror and regular horror, probably. Mm-hmm. But it is just kind of a weird yeah, contrast, like, though. to being like, listen, their toilets spun in a circle so that all their shit didn't fly out. <laughs> to being like, I guess... Star child, he'll I, think of something. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I mean, again, maybe that was on purpose because it's supposed to be about you know human evolution. So we go from being this very concrete and physical, yeah, spacefaring thing to be like, listen, you motherfuckers don't need a spaceship. Like, just unwind just your memories, be, become yeah. energy, space child, and then just go. Right. Like, just be there. Just one mm-hmm. four nine. <laughs> one yeah, four nine. That's it. Just yeah. get, get to it. Oh my god, it's happening. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> what? This is why Chris never had a video recorder. He's an energy of pure being. He only exists on Skype. Yeah. Right. <laughs> See me unraveling in front of the camera. <laughs> oh no. He opened one of his eight mouths. <laughs> and spoke in the dark language. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, on a whole, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are parts of it that drove me kind of insane, but some of that is just me. Because okay. I have a very hard time being like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll roll with that one. Yeah. See, I, I think that, like, uh, Sometimes you read science fiction and, like, the way that they describe the technology is almost too specific. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, like, if they aren't accurate in their prediction of the future, then you're just like, well, no, that's not how that works, and that's totally ridiculous. Yeah. Sometimes you need a little bit of hand-waving to make something a little bit more believable. Well, I think, to prove your point, just listen back to any of our other recordings where I was, like, pooping in a circle. <laughs> you don't have to do that, guys. So I think right. you're 100 percent right there. Right, just vacuums, man. That's all you need. <laughs> Poop sock. Come on. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and when you're in space and you lust after the warmth of another body, just pharmaceutical solutions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Whatever fine. that is. Whatever yeah, right. that means. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, I thought his style most of the time worked really well, where he's like, I'm going to give you just enough, and then you can kind of fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to skip along through these different topics and never really dwell too long for them to get tired. 
But uh, I could definitely see how going through four more books of this, I'd be like, uh, what? <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, it was much more lightweight than I expected based on the movie. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. Agreed. 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 Yeah, I think, I think that is a, a perfectly valid viewpoint. So it, it definitely, uh, <laughs> and that's all it deserves its uh, iconic status there. Yeah, it's a good it's a good representation of uh, mid twentieth century science fiction. So yeah, it's pretty just, solid. I was just going to ask if it's does it really hold up to like the classic standard, or is this just kind of like the book is decent? Depends. The on movie what you was really like. good, and people remember the movie, so they assume lot. Yeah, the, the movie has a kind of, I think, much more of a, a weightiness to it in our mm-hmm. culture. You know, just because it is important in right. film development. But. Right. I feel like, you know, any film student is going to be like, 2001, man. Yeah. Whereas, you know, literature you fans are probably not like, 2001, that book. Sadly, no. They should be, but... <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the... the impact of the movie is pretty obvious just from yeah. all of the uh, referential imagery that you see in, uh, right. in all kinds of media, I suppose. Yeah. And, like, all of the jokes, like, uh, so many images are, are iconic that it's really easy to make, like, a like a visual joke with it. Right. And, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that the book, um, it is a good example of, of mid-century, like, science fiction mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it is a lot weirder than that uh, yeah like this is this is like especially the first two parts that we talked about like is is much more grounded in reality than than a lot right. of the science fiction of the era yeah um yeah so i'm not really aware like what else would we compare this to like um anything that can always go with an asimov title Random person, either like I Robot or the Foundation. Mm-hmm. I might, I, I would uh, Maybe. probably mention Le Guin here. Yeah, um, and that is, uh, yeah, much, much more like far future and like uh, very strange, but more focused, I guess, on uh, uh, on human culture and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've read basically none of it, so... Time to go to the library then, son. Right. I did just get a library card. (laughs) There you go. This week, so I'm all over it. Yeah, go read read The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. The Dispossessed. Yes, and and compare and contrast. (laughs) Compare and contrast, okay. Yeah. The (laughs) Dispossessed. Is this going to be like uh, Insidious? No. I don't think so. What was no. that lady's name? <laughs> Ursula? Ursula K. Le Guin. Yep. K. Le Guin. Noted. So, homework. Watch the movie. Yes. Can Watch do. It. Do it. I have. I'm going to. As far as I know, where can we watch this at? Let me Google that really quick. Uh, I imagine if all else fails, you can rent it on Amazon. Probably so. 
Let's just see. Or you could ah. fly here and watch it with me on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, depending. Research trip. Depending on where, when you're listening to this, Tuesday, May 28th, at the Magnolia Theater, there are two special screenings of 2001. Ooh, if not, nice. it seems to be available to rent from Google Play, Amazon Prime, iTunes, and Vudu for Excellent. $4 minus a penny. Um, I found it on Amazon to buy, although you should look very carefully because there's a whole bunch of non-Region 1 DVDs out there that are super cheap and won't work on your DVD or Blu-ray player. Oh. Or I went to my local Best Buy and found it. That's where I found mine, yeah. Uh, I first tried to go to Fry's and found that Fry's basically has not restocked their DVDs ever. It's down to like <laughs> Once one... Once they sell it, it's gone. It's one rack over by the landline telephones, so you can tell how important <laughs> they think they are. Oh, how the DVD has fallen. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Or when it was the when it was Top Dog. Yep. I know. So, so yes, watch the movie, we'll come back, we'll compare and contrast book and movie and discuss iconic scenery and uh, apes beating the shit out of each other with bones. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And creepy computer-y computer voices saying they can't do shit. <laughs> right. And it's I imagine be. super trippy space scenes. Super trippy. Did you... Star Child. Do we want to do one viewing normal and one on acid, or no? Uh, I'm going to skip the acid. Okay, extra credit. Watch it on acid. Send right. us an email. Tell us what you think. I'll call right. the guy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so what else is good? Uh, it rains a lot here. It rains a lot here. I'll go first, because I thought about this earlier today. I just finished uh-huh. listening to an audiobook called Ghost Wall, which I thought was going to be about ghosts and stuff, because yeah. I don't read descriptions. <laughs> but it's about a girl who does, like, a back to prehistory, not prehistory, but, you know, like, back to nature program along Hadrian's Wall between England and Scotland. Oh, and uh, they're doing a camping excursion with university students that's, like, taking them back to the Iron Age. So oh. they have to live like they would have been. So it's, like, a girl and her bus driver dad and their quiet mom that are helping a university class do this study where they live like Iron Age people. And then they report back on it. And it's I I heard about that. really very interesting. It's nice and short. It was only mm-hmm. like a six-hour audiobook, and I think it's a pretty quick read if you want to read it instead. But uh, it kind of opens with a scene of a woman getting burned at the stake, sacrificed, either because she is a witch or because they think she's a witch. Uh-huh. And that also set me in the mind of it being like a ghost story, but it really ends up being more about how women have found a new role in society based in, Whoa. you know, Iron Age, you know, her mom's time and then her time, and like the current generation of women. So it was really well written. 
didn't overstay its welcome. And the audiobook was read by someone with an authentic accent, which I thought was really good. So it was uh, it was kind of great. Cool. So that's that's that my what else is good this week. I think my current audiobook is The Steel of Rascal or something like that. Steel of Rascal? What? I don't know. I heard about it as some kind of like... Wait, 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 wait. Stop, 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 stop. <laughs> yep. The you steel think, of Wraithscar. You think your book is okay? Huh? Have you been reading this, or you just have it? So this is my latest audiobook that I have. Wraithscar. That I'm currently listening to. Only from Audible. Steel of Wraith. Yeah, it's an older series of books. Scar. But, oh, I, I learned of it because I was uh, wikipedia alternate history series at one point, oh. and it falls into that. But it's some guy who died an old man, seems like when an asteroid hit, mm-hmm. and he woke up in the body of a, I'm thinking a young Neanderthalish type person, hmm. and or Cro-Magnon, living in the uh, Mediterranean basin when there wasn't a sea there. That's the premise of that stuff. Huh. And he rides around on a saber tooth. And in the latest part I listened to a little while ago, like, the saber-toothed rider and their cats have a telepathic bond. Hmm. So the cat can talk to the rider a bit through through the mind. But, you know, alternate history, alternate world. So Asteroid sends him into He-Man land. Yeah, he hasn't figured that out yet, why that happens. Okay. And, and he, he can, can ride on Battle Cat. Basically. Yeah. And But he's riding around in super desiccated desert land. That like twenty thousand years from then, if it follows the pattern of our Earth, will be the Mediterranean type of deal. Mm-hmm. So, got it. And people who healed him live in buildings they make out of salt. Oh, so. cool! Because it's around, they use it like bricks. <laughs> <laughs> it's resourceful. Yeah. So I'm like, this is a weird book, but it seems interesting. I don't mm-hmm. know. Interesting. That is weird. So, Wraith Star yep. for people listening is. R A I T H S K A R. A A R. Yeah. Yes. And I see a picture of a dude with a turban on a battle cat. So that's the one in mm-hmm. front of some ruins or something or some building. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I feel like that describes like a lot of covers. <laughs> <laughs> a muscly guy. Another one I haven't finished yet. I've listened to it for a while, off and on. Is the years the years of rice and salt by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's actually pretty good. Hmm. So, in general, I can recommend uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Yeah, all right. Particularly the uh, the Mars trilogy. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about that one instead of He Man Land. <laughs> what Years of Rice and Salt or yes. the Mars trilogy? No. So rice Years of Rice and Salt is involves uh, reincarnation. So each section is these two souls in their current forms. But the premise of that started out with uh, the Black Death wiped out, like, 98% of Europe mm-hmm. instead of the 30% or whatever it did in our timeline. Yeah. So the first section is a guy sent out by uh, one of the cons. I can't remember which one now. Maybe Kubla. He goes into Europe, Shark and he's, there's just nothing. It's totally decimated. Mm-hmm. Empty as fuck like he rides for weeks and doesn't uh-huh. encounter anything so there's also no food because mm-hmm. it's been a while because they're like oh yeah we tried to invade them like 
two years ago, but they were really sick, so we didn't do that. So go check it out. I oh. want to see what's happening. I want their shit. Well, <laughs> he's like, yeah, everybody died. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, you're infected, so we're going to kill you. And he's like, no, nah, I'm just going to go back there. No. He's like, I don't want to die. So I, he rides around and he's like, well, I have no one to talk to. I'm going crazy. Like two months to cross Europe and shit. Nobody. Barely any food. Mm-hmm. Except some animals you could find every now and then. And some, like, some stores that were still okay. Like, store stuff. And then he eventually meets some guy on the coast who was a survivor because he was immune. Mm-hmm. Like, he lived in a smaller village, but he was a fisherman, too. So he went out to sea. And, like, a couple guys on the boat got sick and died, but he yeah. didn't. But he came home to his village, and, like, his whole family was dead. So it's kind of like, what's the point? But it was also like, oh, my God, I haven't talked to anybody in months. Yeah. So anyway, so he gets, uh, they get uh, rounded up by uh, pirate slavers. And um, he ends up on a ship with this little black kid who's, like, super sassy. Oh, a Zheng Ho's fleet. That's what it's supposed to be. What? Um, what? Zheng Ho, the Chinese oh. explorer. Back okay. In they end up in, That's not what so I heard. Up, they end up in markets <laughs> and sold through the slave trade down uh-huh. Africa to East Africa, and they end up uh-huh. going back to China with him. And that's what starts their cycle of stuff. And one soul is always kind of, like, I guess, mellowed and gentle and interested in, like, enlightenment and spiritual values and progression. And mm-hmm. the other one's always like, no, we got to do it this way. Oh. Fuck this shit. I'm going to control stuff. You know, like, those guys are assholes. I'm going to stick it to them type okay. of deal. Good. They always kind of go through cycles like that. Not always the same. And then they die, and they talk about what happened in the Bardo before they're reborn. <laughs> oh. It's like, oh, well, this time you did it wrong. This is why. Next okay. time, maybe we should blah, blah, blah. And I don't know where it's going to end, but right now I think where I'm at, it's probably about the 1650s. Okay. And the big powers of the world are the, I don't know which Islamic empire, because it's different from China, of course. Of course. But there's been like, India was really big for the Mughals, and they went to some places. <laughs> And after a while, some really super, like, liberal Muslim people went up into Spain and up into France and settled in there and created a society that's freer. Like, their leader was a woman, Mm. which was unheard of at the time because, like, the 14th century for that one probably, 15th. So they're going to come in, I think, to feature later. So that one's interesting because it's always this, this repeating, like, people's learning things, but they're doing it in different places each time and... Yeah. So it's all kind of stemming from, hey, there's no Europeans. They're all dead. <laughs> so, what would the world be like if there was no Europe and your main powers were Islamic Empire countries and China? Okay. So. so if I'm hearing you right, it's like a dog's purpose, except in alternate reality. Alternate With history. people and yeah. probably better, yes. You don't know that. <laughs> I don't. I've not seen a dog's You've never purpose. seen a dog's purpose, so you just <laughs> keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> But I really like it. But I like alternate history stuff. Yeah, things well, that don't interesting. Culture, so yeah, kind of like a cloud atlas type of situation. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Runs hard to follow, but yeah, like that. <laughs> that's for the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love cloud <laughs> atlas book especially, but it's also hard to follow. So. Okay, good to know. Other Chris. Yeah, uh, I've I've been reading a book called uh, Bullshit Jobs. Oh, by David um, uh, so what's that about? Okay, so <laughs> basically, it well, it's a it's a nonfiction. Ah, and basically, he's <laughs> he's putting forward a theory that uh, most jobs are pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. That, 
most of the work that we do is pointless. Yep. And that it actually causes people harm to do these jobs. Hmm. So I agree with all of those. The, uh, he, he makes a lot of, like, uh, points with, like, specific cases about, yeah. like, uh, you know, people having jobs where essentially, like, you know, you do an hour of work and then you browse the internet for seven more hours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he also contrasts those kinds of jobs with, like, uh, what he calls shit jobs, which are, you know, people doing necessary work mm-hmm. that uh, don't get paid very well. Ah. Yes. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the, the whole thing is basically uh, just, like I said, it's a, it's a study of, like, uh, individual cases and, like, uh, surveys of people. I don't, I don't remember the statistics offhand, but like it's a large majority of people who do jobs that they feel are completely meaningless yep. and pointless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would agree, sadly. So it's <laughs> realization it's ahead of the years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of human society is kind of pointless. Oh. It's the environment we live there's, in. It's there's what a we hot do. take right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. If you think about the stuff that we do, mm-hmm. and like, does it have an impact, especially individually? Like the stuff you and I do, for the most part, won't really have that big of an impact. Like how we choose to spend our eight hours a day. In the scheme of things, most of us, eh. yeah, you know, two thousand years from now, what are people really going to say about it? I don't know. The important part is it allows us to have a place to live and. Ideally, if you're lucky enough, you have health insurance and you get time off and you can hang out with your friends and spend time with your family and create a good life for yourself that way. You know, but I kind of agree with stuff like this shit that our society focuses on doesn't matter in the long run Hmm. for anything. You know, it's not focused on expanding like human survivability, really. It's all usually garnered around, hey, I have the most money and I control right. the oil type of deal. And when that person's dead too, it's like none of their shit they did matter. Yep. You know, that they didn't, they didn't more, add, uh, they didn't create these, like they didn't add to general well being. They didn't do stuff like that. It's like, I hoarded all this money, this wealth, this power. Yep. And it's like, okay, well now you're dead. So who gives a fuck? <laughs> that is, uh, that <laughs> is know. much more nihilistic than the, uh, than the book. <laughs> uh, well, I might like, have to read it. Like, like it really, it really is more about just like, uh, why do you have to sit in a chair for eight hours a day when you're really doing like five minutes of actual work? Right. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I think and it's much so, better for that's what I was happiness ask, side to just be like, hey, just accept the fact that it's with me. It's like uh, if I go to work, I'm really only good for like two to four hours tops, depending on a good if it's a good day. Yeah. Otherwise, it's that hour. And, like, mm-hmm. why not just recognize that? Just recognize the fact, okay, I do maybe four hours of work in a day. Great. Pay me the same amount. I'll go home, and someone else can come in for that second half. You know? The yeah. same amount of work, maybe even more work at that point, for the same job is going to get done. Yeah. And more people are employed, but we're all basically part-time. I don't know. Stuff like yeah. that. So is it more exploring just how jobs got set up that way, or is it, like... Going it's, to like four day work week or something. It's 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 kind of all of that, right? Yeah. Like they 
again, like specific cases of like, like how do you how do you end up in a job like this where, uh, you know, a change in the structure kind of makes whatever you were doing before meaningless or something. Right. Yeah. Like some kind of automation replaces uh, a large task that you used to have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know. Why would you ever tell somebody that, like, hey, I don't have any work to do? Right. Right? And people still assume that you're doing something useful, even if you're not. Or, like, you know, no one's going to talk about it. Nobody there, – a, a big part of it, I guess, is that there's a stigma against people who don't work hard enough, especially in this country. Right. And yeah. so a lot of people aren't willing to admit to, like, the people that they work with or uh, anyone around them that, like, maybe I don't work as hard as I seem to. Yeah. None of us do. I mean, we don't farm anymore, so it's all just smoke and mirrors. Right. I mean... All right. Chris Ham, We'd all be record. happier if we could admit that that's fine. <laughs> if that's the way it is. Chris Ham, on record, civilization <laughs> is bullshit. We really should just be farming and fucking. Well, yeah, until and, uh, <laughs> kind of a collective... And the world so would have be better kind of if Europe died. <laughs> no, it'd just be different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My shit did sound kind of depressing, but my think my ultimate points are is like I don't know. It'd be more. It'd be better for all of us if like we all society had kind of like an ultimate purpose in mind mm. instead of just what it is yeah. now, or at least you know? an alternative purpose. Where it's not just like yeah. I want to make all the money I can. Right. Because that's the only way I can afford everything I want. Which in itself is a bad model, too. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of more what it, I kind of drive toward. Like, you're not going to find meaning in just collecting oh, as much shit as you can. We've yeah. been doing that for 60 years, and look where we are. Yeah. You know? It does sound meaning like... Meaning comes from other stuff. It does sound like the book is more geared towards just the c- corporate structure, maybe? Although... It's one of those oh, things that's, that's always seemed, seemed weird to me that's like, if you stop and think about it, there's people whose whole job in their life is, how can I get people to really want to buy this shit they don't need? Yeah. Not just coming up with the sell it, but the people who are like doing the marketing budgets and everything, like, if right. I put this particular ad with this skimpily dressed lady on this football game, then people in this market will buy it, like... It seems completely absurd a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. But I will speak uh, to my own experience saying that probably 90% of the people in my job are doing exactly what you were saying, other Chris. Just like, I used to work on this stuff, but no one needs it anymore, and I don't want to tell anyone, because then I'll have to come up with new stuff. People who just hide out in their cube. Yep. Head down, man. Do your time. (laughs) So you retire. (laughs) And then just ride it out. Like, lunch will be soon. Might as well. I mean, good food, man. That's living right there. And that's after lunch, it's basically yeah. time to go. Like, Absolutely. So this yeah. is called Bullshit Jobs by whom? Yeah, David Graeber. David oh. Graeber. I wonder if he's a distant cousin to Dr. Graeber or Truman. That's entirely possible. <laughs> Bullshit Jobs. A Theory by David Graeber. Fantastic. He's also... He's also written The Utopia of Rules on Technology, Stupidity, and the Secret Joys of Bureaucracy. Huh. There you go. And apparently, if it's the same person, there's toward an anthropological theory of value, the false coin of our own dreams. That's probably a different author. 
But that sounds intriguing. I don't know. It might be the same author. There's also fragments of an anarchist anthropology. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Huh, intriguing. He is an anthropologist. Yeah. So that's what I should have been doing with all that. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Wah, wah. You have a Kindle version. Yes, you do. Twelve ninety nine. One click. <laughs> the tone of that. <laughs> Are you here? that sound. It's <laughs> a power move right there. Like, buying the hell out of this. Done. <laughs> Purchase. Wow. Sent to my e-reader. <laughs> Read that shit later. <laughs> yep. Uh, so another thing that I haven't quite finished yet. We're, Levi and I are reading through Percy Jackson mm-hmm. and The Lightning Thief, which I've never read before. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of interesting. He seems Fun to be, movies based he seems off to of be it. digging it. Well, that's good. It's, uh, it's one of those things like he has no idea the references they're making, so he's like, oh, well, okay. Sure. Like when they meet Medusa and that's revealed to be Medusa, he's like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you didn't read him the Greek myths first? Come on. No. Yeah, he's no. going to take mythology in high school. And like, <laughs> then it'll make sense. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, That's what they were Percy saying. Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> That's why... Uh, what's her name? No, I can't even think of it. The girl in it. What's her name? You know, the girl. Son of a no, bitch. No, but she was that... Pause. By that pause. Dario lady. Pause the recorder. <laughs> look this shit up so I don't sound like an idiot Annabeth okay that's okay. why Annabeth is afraid of spiders because her mom like turned Arachne into the spider lady and then she sent all her children after her yeah he'll be like that makes total sense now mythology right yeah mythology and shit yeah but it was it was funny because we also went and saw Shazam which mm-hmm. was pretty good by the way uh, Excellent. And they're going through the, the acronym. It's like the wisdom of Solomon and the strength of Hercules and whatever. And Levi's like, wait a minute, Hercules? He's in the Greek mythology. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep. He's like, it so is. does that mean that Shazam is going to be in Percy Jackson later? I'm like, I wouldn't count on it. No, sadly. I don't know for sure. But I just that, is, that is the world's most ambitious crossover. <laughs> right, right. That'd be kind of awesome, though. It would be kind of breathing life into a franchise. Because <laughs> they never finished the movies, right? Like they did. No, they did the two. Sea of Monsters, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it did well enough for a no. sequel. No, I think you're right. I totally would have seen it. I like those movies. I like some uh, YA novel adaptations <laughs> that involve Greek mythology. Well, the you thing that. That took me a minute is like reading this out loud. It's in first person, and the he suffers from YA voice a lot, like mm. like trying to fake what talking like the kids talk these days. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, can't read this with conviction, but yeah. <laughs> it does have some, some good characters that you can put different voices on. Cool. Like they described one of the Furies as having a southern accent and. 
It's lucky for me that Levi doesn't know what a southern accent sounds like. So. <laughs> I live in Texas. I live, yeah. in, I live in North Texas, okay? And even that is not like Savannah, Georgia accent. Blanche Dubois. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was. It's been fun, and he was cool. very interested because in one at one point Percy Jackson goes to the St. Louis Arch. What? Yeah, and he's like, I went that in that. The movie. <laughs> he goes up in the arch and is attacked by somebody, uh, echidna. Oh, interesting. But then he jumps into the Mississippi River and he's okay because he's Poseidon's son. Uh, spoiler alert. Oh. Poseidon's I seem son. to recall I thought, he was, I thought he was Jack's son. <laughs> ha ha! Uh, and you're done. Kicking you out of this. <laughs> Kicking you out. You're no longer allowed back. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> now there can't be another Chris. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to find a third Chris. Okay. His name will be Third Chris. <laughs> and with no explanation, there's no other. Right. Chris. There's just Chris and third Chris. Third Chris, yep. <laughs> exactly right. Okay, that was our session for today, but we still have some content to deliver. If you were interested in Chris spoiling the rest of the 2001 book series for you, stick around and listen after the outro music. If you weren't interested in that, you can hit stop as soon as the guitar part ends. Homework for today is to go and watch 2001 by Stanley Kubrick. And I'll say, even if you weren't planning on listening into the movie review sections of the podcast, you should come back next week as we'll be joined by a very special guest to help us break down the film. No on second thoughts today. Today's episode was dragged through a nexus of space portals and fed blue beer pudding by Chris, Chris Ham, and Chris, other Chris Jacobson. Was edited by me, Travis Rowe, and sponsored by no one in particular. Until next time, keep fucking reading. they described it was waiting there to be dug up because that mm-hmm. shows hey these these apes are smart enough to get into space uh-huh. to their moon um so when it hit the when the light hit it it basically gathered up like all of our broadcast signals and information and sent it out to it's like central processing computer uh-huh. um later on they kind of retcon it a little bit because essentially the monoliths have been monitoring our progress, and they send out uh, reports every now and then. Mm-hmm. And since the 20th century was our most violent century, and we, you know, atomic bombs and genocide. Yeah. I've heard of that. Um, 
central computer that they decide that um, we are too violent and a threat. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the kind of stuff they monitor. So they pull stuff like that every now and then, and hence why they would have all that because they did. They just pulled all the signals and okay. kind of used it to compile a report of what had been happening mm-hmm. and blasted that out to central computer, central processing. Mm-hmm. Or the relay or whatever they're going to go to next, but that's what they kind of the monoliths kind of do, mm-hmm. and they also eventually get equated to basically being Swiss Army knives. So oh. yeah, they do right. multiple functions and they're very adaptable. You're right. We'll cut all that out. Yeah, <laughs> that was miserable. cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, at least latter two books worth of stuff. Yeah. So wait. So the monolith was buried on the moon. That one was recording. It's the one that sent the signals. Yeah. I think there ends up being another monolith somewhere, like in Antarctica or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that did the monitoring. Gotcha. And it sent it to the moon one to send out to out into space. Because okay. then the, later on there end up being other monoliths in our solar system for Europa. Because they decided that we were too dangerous. So in 3001, they were coming to er- eradicate us. And they'd already started a, a new project on Europa, which pulls into, kind of starts, I think, in the end of 2010, mm-hmm. or 2061. That book is all about going to Europa. I think it's Dr. Floyd goes to Europa oh. in his old age, Wait. and they study, they meet creatures. Wait, that's in like, 2061? Yeah. Okay. It's like super old. I was going to say, because if it's in 3001, that motherfucker's old. No, that's Frank Poole. <laughs> oh. Because they found him out in space. So. What? What? what, what? <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's dead? Yeah, he's not dead. Well, he is dead, but he's brought back. Oh. So I, don't care, I don't care for any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 3001, even though it's like the wrap-up to all of them, I think it's the most fancifully one. Mm. And they just they didn't have anybody left from the original grouping who could do that, who's uh. a human. Because Star Child wouldn't be, interact with people the same way. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, let's say, hey, they found Frank and they revived him. Mm-hmm. Or cloned him and revived him and something for 3001. <laughs> okay. I mean, we have an original character in our all story. Right. So they did an Alien so. 3 thing. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah, cut, yeah. That, cut all that out too. Like that's terrible. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's not. It's not just that the movie is slow. It's just that it is a movie. Like Danielle convinced me. Like, let's watch Rampage the other day. Because, to quote her. The Rock is dreamy, and so she doesn't care what the movie's about. Mm. She just wants to look at The Rock. She's not wrong. And, <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree, but... The Rock is pretty dreamy. It's pretty dreamy, but, the I mean... Rampage was better than I thought it was going to be. I liked it. I had very low expectations for it. I mean, I, The Rock is friends with a gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> like... That's everything you could want in a movie. I mean, I did play the original and the updated version of that game. I didn't think it was going to translate into a movie. And I'm not sure if it did, because I fell asleep right after the meteorite, and he was like, uh-oh, something's wrong with George. 
You missed the whole movie. Then. I woke up long enough to see the arcade cabinet in the office of the evil people being like, uh-oh, we fucked up. Oh, well. Yeah. We don't I care. Thought, Money. Oh, well. I thought the, uh, the, um, oh, geez, who was it? Like, the, um, man, there was, there was one actor in the movie, and I cannot remember who it was now. Yeah. But I was, like, when I was watching it, I was like, this guy knows he's in a bad movie, and he's having so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, just chewing scenery, like, the entire time, and it was wonderful. Was it Joe Manganiello? Maybe. Because he's also dreamy, so. by the way. Like, Danielle didn't know he was in it, and when he popped up in that helicopter, she's like, bonus! <laughs> <laughs> My original point here being that that's like an action-y movie, and I still fell right asleep. So, it doesn't matter if it's interesting or not. Yeah. If it's dark, and I'm on my couch, I'm gonna sleep. Well, that's, that's understandable. Yeah, it was it was uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. He seems yeah. like the type who'd be like, I'm doing this for the paycheck and I don't care. Yeah, right. it was it was so good. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> don't even know. Well, yeah. I'll have to maybe watch it again someday because it's on the movie channels now, so. And... My wife does not need an excuse to watch The Rock do anything, so. 